Hello, everybody. Welcome to the SCTV Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Delaney, and I'm here with Brendan Sokler. Brendan, how you doing? I'm doing really good, Michael. How you doing? Doing all right. Who do we got on today, Michael? We have the great Miriam Tolan on the podcast today. Listeners, you may know Miriam from, oh, a variety of TV and film, including Late Night with Conan O'Brien, John Glazer Loves Gear, 30 Rock, you name it. She, she did all the New York shows. And she was part of the Ask Cat Continuum, the long-running UCB improv show. And she's also a former member of Jazz Freddy, the legendary Chicago improv group for you deep dish improvisers. So what was uh, this week's theme? The theme is SCTV Movies of the Week. We chose three specific movies of the week, and we really talk about those. This is this is a super fan show because Miriam's a super fan, and um, so we're able to dive pretty deep here on this one. And this was the episode which was fraught with technical snafus. Yes. Uh, so what you'll be hearing today will be the Zoom audio of this recording, but it's a hell of a recording, so we decided to keep it. We had a great time. I hope everybody enjoys it. Uh, it's episode four. Shall we kick it? Kick it we shall. Um, so here we go. Episode four of the SCTV podcast. Take it away. she's there come in Miriam hi Michael thank you so much thank you thanks for joining me it's the it's the SCTV podcast can you believe it I love it so much I love SCTV so much and I know I'm not going to fan out I told you I wasn't going to but I had to <laughs> one minute. just the best ever whatever it is it, 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 well for people born around the time I was born it really was the best um, so we decided to talk about SCTV movies. Um, I love the movies. The SCTV people love the movies. I'm going to assume you love movies. I love their I loved their their movie parodies. I just I look forward to them so much. Like I just I felt like that time when they had the structure of a movie and that they just went and lived in that world was just the best. It was so much fun. You could just get lost in it. And it was just, it was real. There was no winking at the audience. And it was just, uh, it was so important to me at that time. And it was so funny and still is. It was to me too. And I gotta say movies were important to me. Movies were a big deal to me. I, I, I watched all of, I watched as many as I could, especially any movie that featured a child. That, that we really? kind of, yeah, me and my brothers and sisters started there. If there was a kid as a main character, we absolutely that was had your to hook? watch it. I guess it was. I was into being a kid and I was into kids on screen. So like Paper Moon was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid because it had that's this so girl. Yeah, that's really well, sweet. I just, I never thought about like, like thinking about myself 
like liking a movie because I saw somebody who was like me, like as a small person. When I was a kid, I, I was just so into being a kid and the kid experience. And so Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, you know, it wasn't hard to find kids' movies with kids as protagonists. But, yeah. um, but movies like Paper Moon were different and special because this wasn't a kid's movie and it certainly didn't condescend to the audience in any way as children's movies will do. Uh, Willy For Wonka sure, yeah. Willy Wonka did not condescend. I think the opposite. I think they gave kids more credit than the average movie. Yeah, I love that. I love that about Willy Wonka. I love that it was so um, come along for the ride. You're included, but if you don't want to, it's okay. We don't give a damn. Kind of just, you know, that sense of, it, th no, but I mean, there was something very comforting about that. There was something that was really inclusive and just like, this is happening. And you can come along with, but that kind of built-in world was just just absolutely um, so enticing. So let's get to our first movie. Okay. This, this one was totally your idea. And I, I, I yeah. love this. I love this parody and I love the original movie. We're talking Teacher's Pet. Ah, uh, The Teacher's Pet. Of course, based on, as they say in SCTV, a movie on par with To Sir With Love. Um, right. <laughs> which is kind of a boastful. I don't know if that's boastful or not. They say it right at the beginning. And, I, well, it's uh, kind of like a Canadian salute. It's like a, it's just so sweet and so kind. Uh, it, it is an homage, but a Canadian homage. It just, I just, I love that sense of it. The teacher's pet isn't that much of like, you know, usually in parodies, you really turn it upside down and they kind mm -hmm. of don't. It's the same, really the same story of just this teacher who comes into a school um, mm -hmm. uh, for troubled children and he turns them around. It's just same story, same narrative. Mm -hmm. Fish Which out I, of water. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, I, yeah, I, I love that it wasn't, um, that they didn't go crazy off of it because it was just with the cast of characters, they didn't have to. They could have done it almost line for line, just but with, you know, Eugene Levy doing Ricardo Montalban uh, in his Fantasy Island, you know, character was kind of enough. And then just, oh, yeah. Also with the makeup and the design and the hair, and the, and the impressions, et cetera, being so dead on. It's really entertaining in and of itself. Catherine and Andrea, of course, nail the characters. Um, oh, of I those love it girls. so much. You know what, yes. for, our, for our listeners who, who don't have the clearest memory of Teacher's Pet, I have a clip. This is the, the teacher's break room where they're just introducing the main character, which is Eugene Levy playing Ricardo Maltaban is Mr. Zachary. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. I'm Peter Ford English, sir. Ah, quick, uh, quick, quick. <laughs> you must be the new man. Ivy Jackson, physical education. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Zachary. Welcome. Mr. Timmis, the principal here. Do you see, Mr. Timmis, I'm looking forward to meeting my students. <laughs> Shut up, you bleeding twit! Zachary, I don't know what you've been told about the students here, but you see, they're rejects from other schools. Enough. They're not here to be reformed. They're not here to be punished. They're just 
here. They're animals. Every last one of them. They'll eat you if you give them half a chance. Give me half a chance. I'll show them a thing or two. A taste of the old cat and nine tails. They'll wipe their bleeding smiles off their bleeding faces. <laughs> Jackson, you can't change them. Not a bit. Love their music. Not half as much as they love devouring their teachers. Yeah. Why don't you just do your job and hope that they don't kill you? And that's the that's oh, the I, essence of it. <laughs> I love that so much. How about what about Dave Thomas's Richard Burton? You know, I saw someone else comment that he's doing Richard Burton, but I heard Dave Thomas talk about this sketch in an interview. And it was in the context yes. of one of those makeup one up it was these 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 showdowns they would have in the makeup room. Uh, yeah. Where he he I guess Dave showed up and everybody was gonna play themselves. And Dave showed up to oh. get his makeup done and he saw that John Candy was a pirate. Uh, and he said, What's that about? And uh John just started talking to him in pirate speech, as if that was self-explanatory. And he said, right. all right, well, if John's a pirate, I'm going to be Trevor Howard, and I want pockmarked skin and, and, and uh, the like. Uh, so he, his intention was to do Howard. Maybe we all think that he was doing Burton because he had done Burton before, and he'd never done Howard before. And Trevor Howard's well, not I, quite as famous. Oh, I yeah. love Trevor Howard, but but I I think what got me was the the facial stuff, and because Burton had the the um kind of the rough skin also so i assumed he was doing uh a welsh uh, richard burton uh, yeah um it stands to reason but i guess that's i guess dave's got to brush up on his trevor howard the more curious thing and the beautiful thing is why is john candy a pirate it's just one I, of those I, I say why not I think that was all it was, and Dave, I think that was Dave's point when he was talking about it in that interview. And I couldn't find the clip. I looked for it, and other people commented on things like, I think in one of the old sketches, in one of the first two seasons, they did, maybe it was during Betty Bain, professional juror, and John Candy was the judge, and he had a lighting hook for a hand, but it wasn't a proper hand hook. It was just a clamp that you would use to clamp a lighting instrument. And I guess some of the cast didn't notice until they were shooting it. It was like, does John have a clamp as a hand? And it's like, look, it's John. Just leave him, just leave him be. Um, so he could do uh, things like that. Oh, that's great. You got Rick Moranis as the terrified teacher. That's what all that rattling is. That's Rick shaking in his boots. Yeah, yeah. And, and just I just love that he's looking at his teacup and literally just hitting it on the saucer just that's he's just going back and forth back and forth back and forth and keeping his eyes straight on it and just sweating it. Oh. when you watch sketches a lot of times you get to zoom in on those little things like if someone's got yes. a piece of business you can watch the least oh. significant person in the sketch and watch them prepping for whatever their piece of business is i love totally. that stuff um yeah getting the hand ready in the pocket yes yes it's the magic trick well that's why magicians never do tricks twice because then you got a chance to look mm -hmm. for those little things mm -hmm. um what did you what what, what hooked you on sctv how did you get started 
I think it was just on TV. You know, I, I was a big Carol Burnett fan. That was my first foray. My family loved Carol Burnett. So we watched Carol Burnett. Everyone's happy watching Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett's the bomb. Then, um, you know, Ernie Kovacs, um, um, uh, Flip Wilson. Um, oh, yeah. Just anything. So when you were saying stuff about like liking movies or TV shows where you could see a kid and you'd kind of place yourself in that kid's position, but it wasn't, it wasn't kiddie. It was mature and they were treating them with respect and, yeah. you know, as a peer, my angle was completely show me the comedy. All I wanted was the apple dumpling gang, in my opinion, was uh Pulitzer Prize winning. I thought it was with Don Knotts and um, Tim Conway. And um, I just thought it was comedy gold. I, I kind of was like, nobody needs to do comedy after this thing. So I was a big comedy nut. Um, and so anything I could get a hold of, um, I would. I think I saw SNL before I saw SCTV, but when I saw SCTV, that was it. I was just like, oh boy, I completely and totally adore every single inch about this show. That's uh, that's the long opening shot of uh, oh, it's a little montage of photos of the of the gang, and then you see this long mm -hmm. shot of Mr. Zachary walking into the building, which is what a lot of those older movies are about. About thirty percent of these the movies from the '60s is locomotion. It's just people. Yeah, it's walking getting... into a building, walking mm -hmm. out of a building. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, for sure. Walking, opening a door, closing the door, taking a couple steps walking back to the door. Yeah, there's so much that. Gotta see it, you gotta see it. I think they didn't have any faith that the audience could could just, they could cut around from place to place. You really needed to see people get up from the couch and go answer the door. But now, I also love when Eugene Levy, sorry, when Eugene Levy um, goes to the door of the school and just does this, um, he climbs up the step and he does this thing with his hand where he points his finger, just this confidence of, I'm going to go in there and be the best version of myself and turn the school around. And it's just, <laughs> it's so wonderful. It's so, I, I'm, I'm setting the table for you. It's just. Mm. I know exactly what you're talking about. He does the same thing when he's when they cut to the interior and he's walking down the hall and normally you would just yes. turn left and continue down the hall but he doesn't he stops he stops, he stops and he does that thing with his hand like ah i've come to a corner what shall i do yes well i'll go around it he's so confident that he just he takes that time he's so confident and methodical and everything is in good hands and he's clearly taking it one step at a time and he's so confident about his his power and his and his thinking and his ability and i just 
I love that he rests in that confidence and he's just showing it to us before he walks into this den of, you know, animals. That's Montalban. That's what Montalban does. You know, when he was, he was so good in Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. And I think the, the equivalent in that movie of that confidence is that plastic chest that they gave him. Oh, yeah. They gave him awesome. this wonderful, like, fake, incredible pecs that just says, I have my act together. Yeah, and, and Ricardo Montalban always bore himself as an incredibly upstanding proud chested um you know very you know good and secure in in himself like that's why you know he was great for you know fantasy island he's this gracious host who everything is well at hand they did the ricardo montalban school of fine acting on SCTV, where he just makes everybody do line readings like him and wear white suits that's the whole <laughs> which is really every acting school i mean atlantic theater is just basically how to be david mamet mm -hmm. um you know the neighborhood playhouse is how to act the way sandy meisner tried to act it, mm -hmm. it's every school For we, sure. haven't, we haven't touched on the boomtown rats yet which was just like a kind of a bonus. I thought that was just so, I, I loved that. I think, I think I loved it because I knew who the Boomtown Rats were. I was just like, oh, I know who they are. Um, first of all, which was not very. Um, for, for, for once. Yeah, I really did. Like, I felt like, oh, 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 I got it. Okay. But um, I did, um, I knew who they were. And I, I also, I secretly liked that they were Irish too. And I also, my grandma knew his, Bob Geldof's, Father, so I also felt kind of, I don't know, sparkly about that. When you're a kid, those kind of connections go a long way. You're not kidding. <laughs> I, know, I, I, you, I, I can live. I can live on that little those words. I used to live on those words for a long time. I had a, somebody in the family who worked at NBC, and I was just like, God, if I could just, just make my way to be a page. I just get my foot in the door. Like I, cu I couldn't even fathom the fact that I had somebody that I knew that worked at NBC. I'm like, how, how, who are you? What is this? What does this entail? What, you know, how did you get to be you? I saw my mom as being someone who was formerly in show business just by virtue of the fact that she dated Dion from Dion and the Belmonts, and her legs were in a chic commercial. Wow. Well, no, that's, that is cachet. When you're a young person, that is gold. You are, you, your pockets are full. Oh, totally. Her pockets were jingling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mom had it going on. That's for sure. <laughs> she really did. Um, she was a big rock. That's really cool. Too. It that's is kind of really cool. cool. I, yeah. I love that. Oh, what, what did I want to say about the Boomtown Rats? Um, oh, yeah, you're right. They were actually a good band that you'd heard of mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, SCTV had a lot of bands on, but it would be like Carl Perkins and Natalie uh, Cole and all these people that I had no idea really who they were. So it was educational, but no one knew Ian Thomas band and the, half the guys that they got. Uh, Boomtown Rats are pretty cool. I'm sorry, go on. That was a, that was a definitely a cool band, but like I just love that they had so many different like Al Jarreau, Natalie Cole, like there were so many different types of people. There was no one 
it wasn't rock and roll. It wasn't jazz or it just was, it's like Natalie Cole's going to be on the show. Okay. Al Jarreau yeah. is going to be in an episode, you know, he's going to do the jazz singer. It's just, uh, I, yeah, I, I love the randomness of it. I love the absolute crystal gale. I mean, that's right. Uh, Tony Bennett. Genius. That's the best. <laughs> I they mean, had a very Mike Douglas, Merv Griffin approach to their guests. Yeah. Which is just yeah. like, yeah, variety. this is variety. Just bring it on. Throw everything. Throw everything in their kitchen sink. Definitely. Um, well, let's move on. You got any, you got any last thoughts about uh, Teacher's Pet? Well, I did. I loved, I loved when Andrea and um, Catherine were asking Zachary about shaving their arms and legs i just mm -hmm. i appreciated that they wanted to reach out to him in a kind of fatherly way like that the bonds were made so quickly and that i just i loved i loved that detail i loved the the sense of him being torn about leaving these kids and um you know his impact on them i just i appreciated every moment of it yeah, that, that was really straight from the movie. That was after they took this sketch. This is one of those sketches that's so long and has to take a commercial break. And when they took the break, when they came back, that was when the shift had happened and now the kids loved him. Right. And the Boomtown Rats, you could tell they were having just too much fun playing unruly children. There's something about musicians and improvisers that when they're charged with playing out of control kids, they like, are actually liking doing that. They're getting some satisfaction out of just acting out. 100%, permission to be bad. Yeah, permission to act like a flipping child, which is why you became a musician or a comedian anyway. Totally. Because we're in a state of arrested development, basically. How dare Speaking you. Speaking of arrested development, gangway for miracles. Ugh. Although, you know, I realize Gangway for Miracles is not just a straight up um, template of Helen Keller. Not at all. It's a full on sequel because he, John Candy says at the beginning, I heard of the work you did with Miss Keller. Yes. So this is actually kind of a sequel to The Miracle Worker where, oh, and the opening credits, uh, Edith, they credit Edith Prickley in the opening credits in parentheses. The title role. The title role. Edith wanted to make that yeah. really clear. I, and I know because Edith Prickley, you know, she, she was the station manager, right? So she's made herself into an actor. She's the only person who can get from the the executive from the inside of the 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 business to to on the screen. I don't know how she made that happen. That's true. She had she stayed station manager and still had a movie career at the same time. Very few have been able to break through that glass ceiling. You don't see Guy Caballero starring in movies. No, no. Oh, hey, no. I prepared a little setup clip from Gangway for Miracles, too. And so for those who either haven't seen it or need a, a refresher, maybe we can play that clip. Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
Now I know the fine work you did with Helen Keller. Yeah. But me daughter's no more than a wild animal. You can't communicate with her. <laughs> well, she's wild, all right. But she's not hopeless. I can get through to her. It's going to take a lot of love, understanding, and patience. Uh. <laughs> Hello, dear. <laughs> She's got spirit, all right. I got a broken jaw. I better get started right away, Captain. Okay, I think that's enough. Now, I think the elephant in the room is that John Candy is playing yet another pirate. Totally. <laughs> and I'm one, on board with that. I'm totally on board. This time, I think it actually comes from somewhere. I watched The Miracle oh. Worker last night. And mm. it, it, it's a tough movie to get. It's a challenging movie, um, mm. especially if you have a challenging child, because you're watching... The Annie Sullivan character struggle with this. And it's such a real-time struggle you get of trying to right. get a child to learn and adapt and cooperate. And it's, it's rough. It's rough. Um, mm -hmm. But he is a captain. That must be factual. Uh, they all, it's all Captain Keller. And he's one of these like super-duper males who want to run the world and run the family and run everything. But of course, he... He caves in. When big blue eyes bat themselves at him, he caves in like a house of cards. But he's that right. type. He's this boisterous type. He's got an accent, but he's not a pirate. <laughs> he's not a pirate. And um, But I, I, I think that's why Candy made that choice. He took Captain and really ran with it. And I'm, I'm glad he did. Yeah, yeah I, I love that he's that big, love, loving father to his daughter and, and and boisterous like you said and very um confident probably and really the kind of the the everyone's happy when he comes to the place but he's got this daughter who really needs some help so it, it kind of has this almost heart tugging quality to it candy always had that heart he always hit you in the heart because he brought so much of himself to the work totally why do okay. people love this sketch so much? People adore. But I like Gangway for Miracles. I'm not the person, a person who's in love with Gangway for Miracles, but other fans are. Why do they love this sketch so much? I think... I, I think it's the... I, I think the, 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 the Raging Bull sequence um in the bedroom is so classic and so fun and it's got such great rhythm and um it just it's such a nice package of um two characters and solving this problem in the bedroom and just seeing these two women just go at it in such a uh crazy way just knocking the shit out of each other and just it's all physical. There's no pinching. There's no any of that girl stuff. It's all bare knuckle fighting. And it's so true and so good. And it's like, okay. And, and I love also that, that um, Edith Brickley is wanting to get her to use the right fork 
um, at a at a dinner um, instead of the soup spoon or whatever it is. So like, oh, it's what the she's salad to fork. Teach she her, wants to make sure she's got the salad fork. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> so she's not even trying to teach her how to communicate in an effective way. She wants yeah. her to learn all the niceties that are involved with polite society. And this person can't function on the most basic level. And I just love that uh, I'm going to whip her into shape and get her to, you know, and, and then, of course, turning her into, yeah. Yes. Edith. Yes, she becomes Edith. Yeah, I just, I loved it. I also, you know, I'm also a big sucker for the, the fabric uh, man, uh, mannequins that they use. I just, I've always appreciated when they'll, they'll do something with the swinging one of them around and throwing it. I've, I'll never tire of that. That's important that, as far as I'm concerned. That is an SCTV special. They, the it, dummies, for some reason, beating the hell out of dummies is a constant in yeah. that show. I haven't seen Gangway for Miracles for a while and I forgot how slapstick heavy it is. How which? Slapstick. Oh yeah. It's, yeah, it is. It's, it's really physical. It's a very physical scene. And I love that about it. Well, Miracle Worker is just, they do beat the crap out of each other. I mean, she's, she slaps the hell out of Annie Sullivan. And then, and, and then Annie starts hitting her back. It really is. <laughs> they all, they both took a beating in that movie. They had to have been bruised up a little bit. Uh, I love um, that. It feels like an honest day's work. Oh, for sure. Going home from acting with bruises all over your body. Jesus. Oh, you know what I discovered, which is real interesting. You know, I had to choose between the Anne Bancroft, Patty Duke miracle worker or the, um, the later one, which was Melissa Gilbert as, uh, as Helen Keller. And she did a really good job on that. And I forgot, I, I, I forgot who had played Annie Sullivan in the Melissa Gilbert version. You know who it was? Patty, Patty Duke. Duke. Amazing. Isn't that the best? I love That's that. That's so cool. And she nailed it. She absolutely nailed it. Yep. The circle That's of life. Honest. That is the circle of life. When you play a role as a young person, and you grow up and you play opposite in the older person's role. And like you said, she did a great job. It was not stunt casting. She did a great job. Mark. I remember, you know, doing sets with, you know, Steve Carell and, and uh, Stephen Colbert and, you know, at Second City and things like that. And, you know, when the seniors would ask the freshmen, you know, to come along, kind of, I would just be, I, I really couldn't perform. I was just too, too tongue-tied. I just couldn't, I was too, it was too scary for me. I was in the same place. I would usually turn into a wallflower because I was too, like, yeah, tongue-tied. Uh, and also I was really digging watching the scenes and I was like these guys are going at a speed that I am not used to and I, I finally got used to it by then everybody had moved on but I, I was able to relax and play with my own team just fine so I was killing it on Friday nights and then just dying on Sunday nights it, it, it helps to have your ego powderized one way or another as an artist it's not fun. You would never choose it, but 
-hmm. really if if you want to i think excel as an artist you've got to like crush your ego in a way yeah you got to bomb hard everybody's got to get through that the bombing yeah and yeah. those end up being the things you laugh about the most uh, later no one has a good laugh thinking back on all the shows that went well. Yeah. It's just the disasters. Yeah, the disasters definitely stick out because there's just so much, there's so much, uh, there's so many stinkers that resonate that still rattle around in my head. And I, I think about all these people who we subjected to us just like laughing on stage because you know, maybe it was an industrial and Adam said something crazy to, you know, these blue hairs about, you know, that were there for something. And it was just so inappropriate and so awesome. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great. It, that was wonderful. I mean, we weren't really bombing there because we kind of had each other, but yeah, bombing individually is really hard. Bombing together is so much easier. It's tough. I, I would, you know, once in a while, Besser would be like, okay, we don't need you for a while. And I'd be like, yeah, I don't think you do either. And I would just go and go back to watching the shows instead of doing the shows. And, you know, yeah. this year I'd do some shows, and next year I wouldn't, you know, you know how it goes. And um, mm -hmm. one time Besser's like, yeah, we don't need you for a while. But I really wanted to see, and I thought, yeah, he's right. But the next week, ASCAT did the show at the Flea Theater, and I'd never been to the Flea, and I'd never seen ASCAT outside of Rebar and Solo Arts, and I, I just really wanted to go to the show. So even mm -hmm. though I had been like sort of shit can the week before, I, I still showed up to the next performance simply because I wanted to see it. And, you know, you, you got to check your ego on stuff like that. That's, you know, it's kind of what I'm talking about. So I show up for the show. The monologist didn't show. Ian comes out said, Delaney, can you do monologues? The, the, the monologist did, can't make it. I'm like, sure, I do monologues. The next morning, I got my first Conan bit because Grok was there. That's and so great. He, they were doing Andy's Little Sister, which I think Brian wrote, though. Did he co-write yes. this with Coleman? Uh, no, I think that was just Bry. Was that just um, Bry? I think this was before, yeah, before Michael came along. But yes, I think that was just Brian. Well, Brian um, said to himself, we need Andy Daly for this part. And they called Daly, and Daly didn't pick up his phone. So Jonathan Groff said, I saw a guy last night I think can do it. And they called me. And uh, that so led great. to me doing Conan for years and years with you. And that's how I really got to know you. I'd met you through UCB, but we got to know each other in the green room at Conan. Yes. Which yeah, was like the last sure. of the variety show, the true variety shows. That was amazing. Just that, that low ceilinged hallway and just animals and people in huge costumes and just oh, the yeah. madness. And it was such a shitty small hallway and it would just have so much, so many people and so many like things set up ready to go this bit. And then you'd get that into the, to the show and then you'd come out and you'd have another thing go in. And it was just big bits, big, big, big variety bits. Oh, yeah, especially things like staring contests where there would be a line. We're all lined up down the hall, and everybody's in a separate, completely ridiculous costume or get-up. How many staring contests were you in, would you know? Would you guess? Ooh, I, I must have done at least seven or ten. <laughs> I realized that I have enough satellite channels to, like, edit together my own super satellite channel, where it's, like, that's, a full segment. That's amazing. 
You must too. You did you did way more bits than I did. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I did some stuff, but I don't think I did as many as you did. But I um yeah, I loved I loved those bits. Those were so well, fun. Let's move on to our, our last movie, which is one of my favorite SCTV bits of all time, which is Maudlin's Eleven, based on the original Ocean's Eleven not the cool versions that came out in the last 10 years. We're talking 1960 Rat Pack. Rat Pack. What's your take? Catherine and Andrea aren't even in it. That movie is objectifies women so badly. Yeah, I no interest. Like whenever that came out, I was never interested in those people. They always seemed way too cool for school. The women were non-existent. They seemed like just afterthoughts and everybody was way cooler than I'll ever be in terms of, you know, they just, it was very exclu exclusive. And um, I was not uh, uh, inspired to be interested in that at all. Not at all. I, I didn't know anything about those guys. I thought Dean Martin did have a lot of personality and I, I would know him from stuff. And Sinatra was an incredible singer and you heard him on the radio all the time, but that's as far as it went. I heard all these, I, I first learned about Peter Lawford from Count Floyd. I learned about was, so much through through that show that I didn't I didn't know about. I that show introduced me to so much. But I oh yeah, I wasn't even that interested. I I, I found out about it through the show, but I I was like yeah, I, I didn't need to know that in order for me to be hooked on the show or the movie. So if I if they were doing to serve with love. Even if I hadn't seen um, our teacher's pet, even if I hadn't seen to serve with love, I would still get a tremendous amount of um, gratification from just the parody of it, the them doing it. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, I had my mom. She was like my research department. I remember seeing just there was just countless bits where there was all these references that I didn't understand. I'd always bounce them off my mom, and then I'd look them up. Like they once did. Um, Instead of Mommy Dearest, they did Mom's Dearest, which was the, uh, Christina Mabley wrote a tell-all book about Mom's Mabley. Oh. I don't know if you remember. It was an obscure promo they did in their last season. I, I did not know who Mom's Mabley was. I had to look it up. And then from then on, I, I, when I was in the record store looking in the dollar bins in New York, I noticed tons of Ma Mom's Mabley albums. She was quite a figure. I yeah, I, I love the obscureness of that. I love that the the obscure pulls that they took that that they just you know decided to go for that. That's what that's that tickled me too. Just the idea, the choices that they would make to which of which they were going to parody. Like why that? I know, and that that's illustrated today when we're talking about a show that was produced in eighty one, eighty two, and the three movies we picked. Pretty, we just picked movies we liked. We didn't like try to create a connection. And these movies are from 1960, 1962, and 1967. They had no regard for when these things were. I think I called that all right, all out today once already, but but there it is. Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah, I love that. So, <laughs> Maudlin's 11, long, 20 minutes, mm -hmm. takes up two full segments. It's a heist movie. Oh, and it's got Skip Bitman, which is just, just a treat. And, and maybe we should play the clip. Yeah! Oh, yeah! Cool, Daddy, cool! 
Hey, get this. We're gonna get some of our old GI buddies to help us out on this. I like, I like! Sammy, that is the swingin'est idea I have heard. We'll get all seven of our pals from the 23rd. We will have ten of the swingin'est cats you've ever seen. <laughs> That's right, William Bebop, except we're not gonna have ten cats. We're gonna have eleven. We're adding one more for this job. Bobby's brother, Skip Bittman. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, oh, oh. No, 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 Sammy, look. That kid is strictly Squaresville. If he's in, I'm out. Oh, now wait, Bobo, Bobo. Thank you, sweetheart. Bobo! Now look, I know how you feel about your little brother Skip, but believe me, he is absolutely necessary for this gig. Now, you gotta trust me, man. I'll tell you one thing, Sammy. This cat ain't gonna be held responsible if that kid messes up. Gentlemen, here's to the perfect heist. Oh, and remember. <laughs> I think that I think that sets it up nicely. Oh, or Skip Bitman. I think the game between Bobby Bitman and Skip Bitman is familiarity breeds contempt. Skip can do nothing right in the eyes of his older brother. And I love how on camera and off they um, they carry on the same characteristics and same relationships in SCTV. Yeah, th that relationship between Bobby and Skip is is one of my favorites, also. And I love I love how threatened Bobby is by Skip. And Skip is so young, and he's just a puppy. But Bobby is really threatened by anybody in. <laughs> his spotlight it doesn't matter who it is um he just he can't handle it and i i really appreciated that they put that in there because it felt so it, like another layer as you were saying i like that too gene levy seems to have an inexhaustible supply of char characters who are arrogant um kind of what you described these sort of trumpian figures who who, who can't be wrong, they're very easily offended, they're usually rich, they're just mm -hmm. rich assholes. Stan the Man Cantor, um, Max Lansky, uh, in the first show, he's just, he plays these pricks so beautifully. And, and Bobby Bittman is definitely a prick. He's so great, he's such a, he's such a damaged, damaged person and so needy and so sick. And so um, just crunchy, just so good, like <laughs> delicious. You just love his neediness. Mm -hmm. You just can't get enough of it. And 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 also similarly, um, William B. Williams' neediness. There's something that's just so. They're just sycophants, and they're needy, and they're so they they're they're lost. They are. They're lost souls. Thank God they have each other. William B. is such a different shade of shabby human being from Bobby and Sammy. They're so distinctly shabby in their own ways. It's really great. Mm -hmm. They're not just duplicate. They are duplicating each other quite a bit, but uh, their characteristics are so specific. <clears throat> but I, I've seen some, some debates about who and where Sammy Maudlin really came from. 
And according to Joe, it's just straight up Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy Davis had that talk show, Sammy and Company, with mm-hmm. where he would fall down out of his chair laughing. I mean, that's yeah. You, he 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 hit the shag a lot. Is in shag carpeting because um, everything was shag carpeted back then. Remember, mm-hmm. and um, in in Ocean's Eleven, you know, Dino and and Frank and uh, Peter Lawford, they're all these hip hip uh, uh, dudes. But poor Sammy is a garbage man. He's an out of work baseball player who has to get work as a garbage man. Well, everybody else has these. Uh, these playboy lifestyles and that's bullshit i know and sammy maudlin he 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 drove the garbage truck because he's sammy davis it's really who he's fully based on um i happen to Mm. love sammy davis jr um what else is it about mod oh you know one thing i love about maudlin's 11 and this struck me last night is that in in the universe of sctv I think that's a movie that those guys really made back in the 60s. It seems like that's what they're going for. That This is just an old movie that Sammy and the guys did way back when. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I didn't think about that before. But yeah, I guess you're right. That they would have put that together. I think so. I think it's supposed to be the younger them from 20 years ago. Oh, that's delightful. It just adds depth. It does. The backstory they get into in Ocean's Eleven is just murderous. There's 11 guys in the damn gang, and you got to get the <sighs> full emotional backstory from everybody. So it's about 45 minutes before anything happens. Yeah, no thank you. I guess I'm not recommending that one. You know, To Sir With Love and, and, and The Miracle Worker, are still really valuable movies. I don't know yes. about Ocean's Eleven except for some kind of anthropological purposes, or if you're really and even that, it. it's a, fis- a facsimile of a facsimile of a facsimile. It's just so ugh. They've got this game in Ocean's Eleven that they all treat it like it's a real mission because they were they all were in the war together, and they decide to rob not one but five casinos in Vegas in one night, and they treat the whole thing as if it's just another mission. Um, I'm not sure what to think about that. It's, 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 it's sort of a way for them to justify doing whatever the hell they want. Because that's yeah, but they the don't they even talk be- about like sticking it to the man or anything like that. They're just like, yeah, we're doing this. Oh yeah, no, they just want to get rich. Yeah, no, it's yeah, no, 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 it's not for any any deeper purpose of uh, you yeah, know bringing down the powers or anything like that. Because that is them. They are Vegas. These are Vegas guys. Right. At least they lose in the end. And there's a nice little song. Gee, I so wanted to play the clip of Bobby Bittman in the Beatnik Club when he does that number. Oh, what is yeah. what is Hey that? you crazy Beatniks? <laughs> That's the one. Hey you crazy Beatniks. Yeah. Oh sweetheart. Can I get another espresso? I gotta be alert tonight. Pulling a heist, huh? Hey! What kind of talk is that? There's Beatniks around here. Am I way Look at the clock on the wall. 
it's getting late, there's children to be fed, there's dogs to be walked. I think it's time to kick over to producer's corner. Brendan, are you there? I'm here, Michael. Hey, gang. So for the uninitiated, what is ASCAT and do you have any good stories from it? ASCAT is and was, well, we're, we're, UCB Theater is on pause right now. ASCAT is the, really the flagship show of the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. It was the, the free improv show that UCB first did when they came to town. They were really a sketch group. They set out to be a sketch group and, and uh, climbed to uh, you know, make their fortunes doing sketch, but they all were also improvisers. They'd been, Del Close was their mentor. They all trained at various places, but specifically at Improv Olympic or IO uh, in Chicago. And they would do either free improv sets after their sketch show or independent improv shows uh, and ASCAT was that show. <clears throat> when they came to town, they were just better than all the other shows. That's the improv shows. That's all there was to it. I'd been here for a while. I'd been here since 91. They came in 96 and they really cleaned up and their show was free. Well, you got Chicago City Limits, you know, uptown charging tourists 25 bucks to come and see their improv peppered with a couple of uh, 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 political satire blackouts. You got the UCB doing absolutely dazzling work. Um, in ASCAT, and the, the 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 guests that would back them up was ridiculous. Like I mentioned earlier, it was just a murderer's row of uh, improvisers. John Glazer, uh, um, the, the stacks. It was basically any Chicago person from I.O. that got hired on Conan and SNL, of which there was many, many, uh, were usually invited to come by. So ASCAT was really the flagship improv show of the UCP theater uh, for many, many years. Um, and it's still going, it's still going on both coasts. It's changed, but it's still kind of the, 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 the big show because it's, it's a celebrity act affair. And uh, I think they charge for some of them, but there's still free ASCATs. That's a tradition for ASCAT to be at least uh, 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 half free. I mean, you, they usually do two sets. Maybe one might be paying, but the other will be free. You got any memories or stories from ASCAT? I, I know I have stories, but uh, it's not, there's no one that leaps out. Yeah, same. Just a, just a time a time in New York where it was crazy and people were just starting out and it was just very fun. And it was a show that everybody absolutely had to see at least once. Final question. Uh, today's episode was about uh, parody, specifically movie parodies. Uh, what draws you both to parody and comedy? I think it's just the, it, well, it doesn't, I don't, I'm not always drawn to it. I'm only drawn to specifics um, like documentary now, um, although that's a parody of, you know, but um, specific, really serious parodies, I really enjoy. I don't like the ones where it's not taken as its own world. I feel like it really has to be um, fully committed to and, and, SCTV always did that, and uh, uh, and documentary now too. Just that that sense of this is the world, and you're coming into it. I'm thinking about it. I don't know what it is that I love so much about parodies because I think I am a natural sucker for a parody. 
when someone does a great impression, um, it just, it just, I, I, it extra tickles me. The only thing I can trace it back to is Mad Magazine. I, I wanted mm -hmm. to like comic books like all the other kids, but just Superman and uh, that stuff, it just didn't do anything for me. But Mad Magazine, I could never get enough of because I like to draw too. But I also felt that way about like Wacky Packs. Do you remember Wacky Packs? Those candies you used to get, uh, it's like a little um, cards that you used to buy and it would be like these just uh, silly little puns, but it was, it was, it tickled me in the same way that a parody tickled me. The sense of um, the novelty of changing something just a little bit and making it a little different. I adored wacky packages. I loved them. The best. I loved them. They were so dumb and they were so great. Yeah. Chuck full of nuts and bolts was yes, their coffee. Yes. Um, I still remember a handful. Oh yeah, wacky packages were supremely engaging and entertaining. And I hated garbage pail kids. I was Oh I yeah, was no. I was offended by garbage pail pail kids. Because see to me, wacky packages, I don't know, it it was based on something. Whereas yeah, by the time it felt kind of far sidey. It had kind of a an absurdity to it. There was kind of a weirdness to it. But um, yeah, but a safety too. And I just, I really, that really hooked me as a kid for the same reason I believe that parodies did. Yeah, wacky packs. When my son was really into baseball cards, we would go to like flea markets and things to find uh, cheap packs of baseball cards. And they'd always have a few wacky packs and I'm still a sucker for them. I always yeah. buy a couple packages when I, when I see them at the flea market. Yeah, that, that super powdery pink, gum that would come in them right oh yeah that 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 was the kind of gum they put in baseball cards and it was fascinating because when, when you the gum was so bad when you first chewed it it was it was cardboard oh terrible but, jawbreaker but, yeah but then it turned to powder it was disgusting but then it yeah. would turn into a real piece yeah, of really gum bad. and it was the yeah you'd have to gum. go through a lot of processes yeah you did. it was chalky <laughs> and it was really hard and there was a lot of pain involved you really had to hurt afterwards but then you get like the really but it was super tiny piece of gum at the very end of it so it was just kind of it was a lot of work there was so many phases you had to go through and it was covered in white powder so that they wouldn't yes. i don't know just that so they wouldn't stick to the cards so you had to get it's probably the, asbestos oh yeah or just john's just like real talcum like cancer causing yeah. talcum who knows what it was so yeah miriam's right there was a lot of phases to get through in that piece of gum but eventually yes. it, it would constitute into a piece of gum and it was woefully small. Yeah, I'd eat a couple of them. And if you got a couple in there, they blew incredible bubbles, didn't they? Yes, very elastic, very elastic. Cause yeah. it was so hard to get it to that malleable point. It was really mm -hmm. hard. Yeah, you had to work it for a while. Hey, it was the seventies, we yeah. had the time. That's right, we had the time and God damn it, we had to work for our stuff. That's right. No hubba bubba for us. This was hard gum times. All right. Well, Miriam, I, I, I think we got to wrap it up, says the okay. clock. I, I wish we could talk about SCTV all day. Wait a minute. We just did. Um, now, I, I always give my guests, this was inspired by Beowulf. I always give my guests a choice to get a traditional sign off, or you may blow up if you wish. It's really your call. Um, 
Oh, I, I blow up, of course. I thought you were. You're a true SCTV fan. I know. I knew you'd want to blow up. Yeah, of course. Um, well, gee, it's been so great having you. Um, Thank you so much. Please come back sometime. Anytime. I will talk about SCTV forever. Oh, such a good sport. Well, thanks for joining me. I know we only covered three movies. There's too many SCTV movies to cover all, to, to talk about all of them. So, and I want to thank the crew, Brendan Sokler, Blake Maloof at Punching Up Productions, and of course, our special guest, Miriam Tolan. Good day, everybody. Peace. you from crayons to perfume